With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this edition of Hoosology, Matt and Justin welcome public address announcer for the Miami Heat, Michael Biamonte. Michael details how he became the voice of the Miami Heat and what it's like working for Pat Riley. He also discusses what it's been like being in the building for some of the highs and lows of the Miami Heat's history. He was there for Jimmy Butler's recent miss that cost him a trip to the NBA Finals, and he was in the building when Ray Allen hit that famous shot against the San Antonio Spurs. This is an incredible chat. You can't miss it. Get in touch with the show through social media, such as Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a proud member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now... Michael Biamonte. He is the current public address announcer for the Miami Heat. We have the pleasure in welcoming Michael Biamonte out to Hoopsology. How's it going, Michael? Hey, guys. Great to be with you on Hoopsology. Uh, thanks so much for the invitation. Thanks for coming on to the show. And Matt and I have been looking forward to this chat for a very long time uh, just to get your, your insight and your knowledge about the Heat. Uh, but before we delve into that, we'd like to ask a lot of our guests, what is their either first or favorite basketball memory? Uh, you could decide where you take this question. Wow, okay. Uh, having been in the game for 31 seasons, that's uh, that's almost like asking me which one of my kids do I love the most. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot. There's a lot, of, uh, <laughs> a lot of memories over those 31 years. Um, I, I guess I would, I would have to boil it down to a three-game segment of the 2006 NBA Finals between the Heat and the Dallas Mavericks, uh, games three, four, and five. And um, in 2006, the format was what they called 2-3-2, and Dallas had home court that year. So the first two games were in Dallas, then the next three were in Miami. And so I reflect on those three guys because it was games three, four, and five that I got to witness in front of my eyes and through the microphone, Dwayne Wade become the most incredible basketball player on the planet Earth and basically resurrected Miami from down 0-2, and we were down 13 in the third quarter. So you could say we were down 0-2 in three quarters. Uh, brings <laughs> the team back, puts them on his back, literally, and carries us to three wins at home, which then became the fourth win on the road. Uh, that is a period when, right before he decided to become the Superman of basketball, I turned to the official scorer who sits next to me every night at every game, and I made a comment to him. I said, you know, I really thought being in the finals would be a lot more fun than this. We were down 0-2, down 13 in game three, and then to see him transform a, an organization and carry him to a championship, that's, that's, that's very, very special uh, in my career. 
Now, I'm sure one of the other things we'll talk about is the Ray Allen shot in game six of 2013. Um, that's that's right up there as well. But that three-game Dwayne Wade segment was just incredible. So, Michael, we want to delve into your your journey and to becoming the, the PA announcer for the Heat. And you began in 1990 and... My co-host and I were talking about how, I believe in 1988, am I correct, Matt, just in terms of them being an expansion team. So you got with the organization pretty early. So can you kind of just give us the origin story of how you became a member of the Miami Heat family and kind of your journey, just in a little bit of a synopsis in terms of what was kind of those early years like being with that team? Sure. Um, so the Heat came to Miami in 1988. I had... Uh, in high school, I had announced the uh, the basketball team. Uh, in college, I uh, got the job as the PA announcer for the the men's basketball team at Florida International University, which is where I went to college here in Miami. And so the Heat came in '88. Um, I was still doing college basketball. The University of Miami at the time did not have a basketball team. I was the only guy in town announcing collegiate basketball. And so I applied to the to the team, and they wrote me back, and they said, we've got someone, but thank you. We'll keep your name on file. So I continued to work college games. Um, I was in corporate America. I was working in the insurance business, and I was announcing basketball games at night. And um, I'm at work one day, and the phone rings, and it's the Miami Heat. And they said, listen, we understand you're a local announcer. You do basketball games. Our announcer is sick. Are you able to announce our game tonight? And so the first thing goes through my mind is, which one of my buddies is playing a joke on me here, right? Who is this on the other end of the phone? <laughs> it's, it turns out it's legit. It's the Miami Heat. Um, I agree to do the game. I go down and announce the game that night. Uh, that was in... 19 that might have been the 1990 that you're referencing um they played a team that doesn't even exist any longer they played the seattle supersonics that night uh -huh. the supersonics have gone on now to become the oklahoma city thunder uh but we played seattle that night and i got through the game and i thought it went well the next day i got a call from the organization saying we'd like you to be our permanent backup uh, so i said great i'd love to I did a couple of preseason games the next year. Uh, didn't have to do a regular season game. And then at the end of that year, the uh, the gentleman that had the job, um, and he was actually the vice president of communications for the team by day, and he was the PA announcer at night. Made a lot of sense. A brand new team operating on a shoestring budget. A lot of people had to do multiple jobs. And so that's kind of how the Heat entertained that and so he leaves for the uh, to run a family business out in San Diego, and uh, I get an opportunity to re-audition to be the primary guy and uh, got the gig. Um, that was 31 seasons ago, so I missed the first three years of the organization and have been with them ever since. Yeah, with um, the history of the Miami Heat, you know, being one of the newer expansion franchises in the history of the league. I'm curious to get your thoughts, Michael, since you have seen so much of this franchise's history, what was the turning point in that organization to where the Miami heat became really 
like a, a contending franchise and maybe just got out of that, that mold of like an expansion new franchise? Like when were they kind of um, legitimized as contenders in the East? Was there a specific turning point that you saw in the organization? Yeah, there definitely was, Matt. I think it was when the organization brought Pat Riley in to uh, to coach the team, um, and Pat brought with him what we now know as a Heat culture, uh, where he you know he ran things very you know he he ran he runs a tight ship. Um, it was it was different than the way things were run prior to him getting there, and so it was a matter of okay, do you want to jump on to the the new way of doing things, or, you know, do you want to say this isn't for me and, and let's, let's move on. And so um, I, I definitely wanted to stay. Thankfully, Pat wanted me to stay also. Um, And I've said to people, and I will continue to to say it. um, I love, not that I work directly for Pat Riley, but I love working for this organization under his leadership. He's the same exact man today that he was day one. He's very demanding, which is fine, but he all he's very consistent in what he wants. You know what he wants. I know exactly what to give him. I know exactly how he likes it. And so I do my job the way I know works for both he and I. And so as long as you can have consistency in leadership, and it's not every day, okay, what does the boss want from me today? As long as you don't have that in your mind wondering what's going on here, and we don't. Um, I said, I would say, Matt, that was the turning point, bringing Pat in, Pat doing what Pat does, uh, bringing in players like Tim Hardaway and Alonzo Mourning, uh, making that franchise relevant, going, going back to all those playoff battles with the New York Knicks. And, and some of those stories are just amazing and, and incredible and things you'll never see in today's NBA anymore, but, uh, they were certainly a lot, uh, just a lot of fun and some some tough memories and some really good memories too. Um, and that hasn't changed to today, whether it's bringing in Shaquille O'Neal or drafting Dwayne Wade or uh, getting the big three. Uh, now putting together a team that is 15 seconds away from getting to this year's NBA finals. I mean, he just continually progresses and builds teams that are, are excellent. So Michael, um, you brought up heat culture, so I have to ask. And Justin, I hope I'm not stepping on your question too much yeah. here, but uh, but I gotta know. We we've had several guests, you know, tied in some way or another, maybe just covering the Miami Heat or tied to the organization in some way or the other. And I always do like to ask, what is heat culture? If if you can condense that and define it, I know it's it's a lot of things. It's it's a lot about work ethic, but can you put in your words what heat culture is? So I, I will say this, Matt, it's heat culture definitely uh, flows throughout the organization. And, and I would not, I don't think I'd be too incorrect by saying it might be different things to different people, depending on what it is you are and what mm. you do in the organization. So um, for the players, it's all based on uh, your accountability to one another uh, and, and the fact that your teammates know that you will do your job the way that you need to uh, in order to get to a win. So how does that transcend itself to like what I do as part of what we call the heat entertainment team? Uh, there is an expectation of how I'm going to 
handle myself behind that microphone, what's expected of me each and every game night. And I've got to live up to an expectation that the organization has. Uh, each and every night, I've got to bring the enthusiasm, the excitement, get that crowd fired up, uh, let them enjoy themselves and really have a great time uh, regardless of the outcome, but know that they really enjoyed themselves and that was really a lot of fun. So that's an expectation that I have on me. Um, and that at the same time, you know, I work with a number of other professionals and I expect them to be on the top of their game. So everybody is putting together the best possible show that we can. So it's it's kind of a demand and an expectation of one another, uh, although your you know roles are different. Thankfully, I don't need to make any baskets, but I, I certainly need to get 19,000 people standing up and making noise for your Miami Heat. So in transitioning to from the organization to the fans, what is kind of the biggest misconception about Miami Heat fans? Because I have to admit, just watching the games on, on television, at least as, as a younger fan, I've always wondered, hey, like, there's a big game, and, like, you know, compared to other arenas, it's, it's half full. And so can you kind of clear up any kind of misconceptions to Miami Heat fans compared to the rest of the fans of the NBA in terms of that regard? Yeah, I think Miami gets a, a, a tough uh, reputation that the fans are, you know, full of apathy. Uh, you know, they just, whatever, you know, okay, it's a game. Let's just go and, and, and be seen. Um, certainly there's a lot of that in Miami, but I, I will say this. Um, our fans, while they may not be early in their seats, they will get there. Uh, and they do get there to their seats. Uh, there's all kinds of things people want to say, the Miami traffic, or uh, they're, they're just in the, uh, the, uh, the clubs or the bars that are around, you know, inside the building. Uh, but they, they will eventually get there. And um, I, I would argue that our building can and has been as loud as any building in the NBA. Now, that might not be a tip, but that will be at some point in the game. Uh, game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals that we just had with uh, with Boston. That was one of the loudest scenes that has I can remember of any game not being a finals game. I mean, it was just, uh, it was deafening. And everybody's into it. The crowd is great. I have a great relationship with the Heat fans. Uh, you know, we we kind of play off each other. Uh, I They inspire me, and I try to get them fired up, and they get me fired up, and so this whole thing just kind of snowballs. Um, and that, that makes it a lot of fun. We've been together for a long time, and the good news is they still respond when I ask them to respond. So that's the, the one thing you got to hope. It's, uh, you know, it's like a friend always asks me, does, doesn't it bother you when people ask you and they see you out, out on the street, they ask you to say a player's name or they ask you to say something like you say it for the heat? I said, that doesn't bother me. It's going to bother me when they stop asking me to do it. That's the problem. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, there there is a compelling argument. You know, there's a lot of stuff to do in Miami. Um, <clears throat> compared to, you know, there, it's been downtimes for the Dolphins, unfortunately. Downtimes for the Marlins. What is that? sports community like down in Miami these days is are the heat the like dominant franchise given the recent success that the franchise has had 
or what's your sense of what the community is kind of gravitating towards, um, you know, in, in the past five years or so, let's say. Yeah, Matt, I would, uh, I would say that the, the Miami heat has uh, become the number one, taken over the number one spot uh, in South Florida when it comes to professional sports for years. Uh, it was dominated by football, whether that was professional or collegiate, with the, especially with the University of right. Miami. Um, but those those teams kind of had a a fall down a little bit. Uh, I, I try to be as kind as I can. Um, and and the Heat, the difference with the Heat is it is consistently a winning franchise. So you've got. Each and I mean, you think about two years ago, we were in the finals in the bubble. So you're talking about a team that's in the finals a couple of years ago. They're right on the cusp of getting to the finals again a couple of years later. Uh, won three championships since 2006. Um, so there's some there's some excellence there that really the Heat has been the only team in South Florida that has shown that on a consistent basis. I think with our other professional teams in town and, and high-end college teams, lately it's been more of let's hope. Let's just hope. And there really isn't a lot of hope with the Heat. There's more like, well, we kind of have a good idea. They're going to be there. Um, so I would say we have, we've taken number one uh, from South Florida, uh, especially over the last five years. With those expectations changing and the Miami Heat becoming uh, that number one uh, team in South Beach, can you kind of elaborate on, in my opinion, the disrespect the franchise has gotten from, I think, fans and from experts, you know, in the league since the bubble? I mean, we're, the Heat, you know, have been consistently atop of the NBA, but yet when you're discussing, and, and I think I, I won't speak for Matt, but I'm guilty of this. Always writing them off when it comes to season previews, when it comes to picking, okay, the eventual uh, representative of the Eastern Conference or even winning the NBA title. Um, oftentimes, the Miami Heat is not in that discussion. They're usually like a, you know, a sleeper team, or they're usually not even mentioned in that discussion at all. But the numbers are the numbers. The facts are the facts. Since since the bubble, most recently, they have been, you know, on top of the NBA. Why do you think the the franchise has been disrespected in that manner? Because they they've been consistent. Um, on top of you know the Easter Conference of ours in that championship discussion, but yet when it comes to you know so-called experts, they're always dismissing them. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question, Justin, and it does lead to a lot of frustration. Uh, you know, what is it about our team that turns off the media that, that just kind of makes them not want to talk too much about us? It might be that there is no compelling media narrative uh, regarding this organization. You've got a guy in Jimmy Butler who's been on a few teams, uh, sometimes referred to as a malcontent. He comes to the Miami Heat and he fits like hand in glove and it's just you know outstanding. And then you put players around him that fit and you draft well, you draft Bam Adebayo, you draft Tyler Hero. That, you know, we just go about our business and block out all the outside nonsense. You know, we don't have front office turnover. We don't have, you know, the worst thing we had this year was a, a sideline dust up between three or four guys and the coach uh, in one game that was put to rest at the, by the end of that game. And so that was it. 
there there is no narrative. I, I guess you could also say uh, there are no real superstars. You look at some of these other teams, and they want to talk about this. These they have these two stars, or uh, you talk about some other teams in the East, and you want to talk about you know the big names that they have. You want to talk about how they tried to put their teams together. I just think Miami goes about it in just a workmanlike effort. And maybe some people are just saying that that just had to be dumb luck that they got to the finals in the bubble because the bubble was so unusual. Um, But the bubble environment may have been something that fit the Miami Heat very well. They were able to just buckle down and focus on their work. Uh, But I would say at some point, you got a team, finals, uh, Eastern Conference finals within three seasons of each other. There's got to be something there that you're going to have to give some credibility to. Do you feel like some of that bias could potentially be envy, kindly maybe, or jealousy of the big three forming in Miami? Um, cause I, I would definitely agree in terms of the negative bias in terms of coverage with the heat and yet still any, any time just about that, that I can think of, you know, like most recently Donovan Mitchell and, and the unrest going on there in Utah, uh, the heat are usually one of these first like hypothetical free agency destinies or, or trade, uh, destinations, uh, same thing, you know, before Giannis re-signed with the bucks, there were all these rumors about him going to Miami. So it's kind of this weird juxtaposition juxtaposition between the heat being brought up as like this top candidate and yet at the same time getting this uh this disrespect <laughs> I, that, I think is, is there is, leftover that, resentment from all the success that, that's, maybe that's interesting matt um and that is something to think about why why is it whenever players become available why is it somehow miami's involved in the conversation here if if Miami's not getting any you know any kind of positive uh, you know media report, and so when when you think of Miami, I think from a player's standpoint, not any particular player, but just in general, they look at stability. They look at the what if you go there, you know what's going to be expected of you, and you can pretty much figure out that you're going to be a darn good team that could have a chance at being a special team. Um, now, let's talk about the other things that always make it in there, the the South Florida environment and South Beach and and the fact that there is no state tax in Florida. That always comes up. And, sure. and so mm-hmm. there's a lot of positives and a lot of benefits. And could there be some jealousies out there? I would guess there might be. If I lived in a freezing cold climate, portion of the United States and I keep seeing, you know, beautiful people on beaches and all you're doing is telling me why it's so great to live there and why all these good players might want to think about going there. I think at some point you've got to say to yourself, well, we're not talking about players going there because it's a bad situation to go to. It's a really good situation to go to. My thoughts. Absolutely. And with this heat team now you have, really some some of the most iconic moments in NBA history you you already mentioned in detailed very well 
your experience covering Dwayne Wade in that title win in 2006. I wanted to get your your same just kind of recollection of the Ray Allen shot, because that's that's the other huge heat moment. It, it's in the argument for the greatest shot in NBA history, uh, certainly at, at the most critical moment uh, that a great shot like that could be taken. Can you give us just your your experience in those last couple minutes and in, in that very last play uh, ticking down to that Ray Allen shot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was... Uh... That was one of those games where you went through so many different emotions in such a fast amount of time. And it was it was getting to the point where you thought, okay, this isn't going to work out and we're going to lose another one, which if you think about the, the four years of the big three, in year one, we lost to Dallas. Uh so you win in year two against OKC. Now you're in year three and you're getting ready to lose another one. I mean, wait, it wasn't supposed to be like this. And so uh, some things are happening around the game. Um, and for example, the trophy's there because if San Antonio wins, they're presenting the trophy. <laughs> and believe me, I presented a trophy to a visiting team when Dallas won in Miami. And that's no fun. That is no fun uh, doing a toss to the ABC or ESPN personality who's getting ready to present the Larry O'Brien trophy to the NBA champion Dallas Mavericks. That was, that was the worst things ever come out of my oh, mouth. Man. But um, <laughs> So you, you've got those thoughts going through your mind saying, am I going to really have to do this again? Then what we call the yellow ropes. I mean, that's what they were. They were yellow ropes that yep. security would bring out and they would hold up around the perimeter of the court to keep the fans from going onto the court post game so they could do all the presentations. So the yellow ropes are out. They're there on the perimeter, on the floor. Um, the, the case that has the O'Brien trophy is there. It's, it's standing by to be wheeled on. We're down three and just trying our hearts out to see if we can get anything done and take a three-pointer, miss it. Chris Bosh gets the rebound, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees Ray Allen, who is now backpedaling to behind the three-point line. What's fascinating about Ray Allen he never looked down, and he would always practice doing that, that backpedaling so he knew exactly where he was, but he never had to look down at his feet. So he backpedals. Chris sees him, passes him the ball. The shot goes up. It goes in. My first trigger is to find an official to make sure that he's got his hands extended upward <laughs> telling me that it's a three point shot because from my vantage point where I'm sitting, which is at the scores table, right at center court where the players check in. As I look at that corner, it's the furthest corner away from where I sit. So between Ray Allen's feet and me are coach Spolstra two referees, and probably the better part of eight 
players. <clears throat> to say there was no way I could see Ray Allen's feet was an understatement. I couldn't see where he was. I'm looking for the referees. They put their hands up. I belt out the loudest, Ray Allen, three! And absolutely <laughs> nobody heard me because it was so loud in that building, they could not hear a word I said. Uh, that, that shot, obviously, is the number one shot in Miami Heat history. I, I guess you could make an argument, Matt. There's been really, really big shots in the NBA. That one's yeah. got to be in the top, top echelon. Absolutely. I think it's one of those moments where anyone watching the game, I mean, you you remember where you were. You remember kind of what was going on in that moment, like one of those most iconic, like you said, upper echelon sports moments. Uh, just, just unbelievable. And then at that moment, um, the the NBA rules are you've got to stop the game because the officials have to go to replay to determine if it was a two or a three. And so the game is immediately stopped. Uh, they they come to the scores table. They um, they check it. And nowadays, as you're watching NBA games, we have cameras and we have microphones where the official presents it into the camera. Well, back then. It was just tell the PA announcer and he would tell everybody in the building. And so I got a chance to let everybody know that the basket was good. And then the crescendo went up again, just as loud as it did the first time. Uh, we get to overtime. We win in overtime and then go to game seven, which was a great game in and of itself. Um, credit the Spurs. Goodness, after losing the way they did in game six to come back in game seven. And that game was not decided until LeBron James hit a jump shot with probably a minute left. Um, just just an incredible, incredible series. Agreed. And an underrated rivalry within the NBA as well. I don't think it gets its due on NBA history for sure. Um, and not even to mention a defining moment for one of the great greatest yeah. individual players in NBA history too. Sure. Uh, that I mean, it's certainly always a team effort to win that title, but... Yeah, really has to rank up there as one of the best championships we've ever seen. Yeah, agreed. Um, Michael, before we let you go, one last question for you. Um, you alluded earlier just about Jimmy Butler, um, just the, the season ending on that note. Um, just looking forward to next season. What kind of improvements are you looking um, for the Heat to make headed into the offseason and just – where do you think, and it's really early, the season's not even over yet, but what are kind of your expectations um, headed into next season with this current roster as it's currently constructed? Well, I'm certainly not much of one to, to be able to comment on the basketball side of things, but um, uh, as luck would have it, Pat Riley did his uh, end-of-season press conference today, and so he addressed the media, and um, clearly uh, the team – wants to improve and thinks that it can with the number of young players that we have. You know, keep in mind guys like Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero, they're in their early 20s. And so um, I think if you listen to what Pat had to say today, it was uh, we can improve from within. We've got a lot of young guys that can improve from within. Um, I will say this, having worked with Pat and for Pat for I think it's been now 27 or 28 years. Um, he is not going to 
just let this thing kind of run run itself back without some improvement. Now, what that looks like, is it somebody new from the outside? Is it an improvement from within? Is it some combination of both? Um, from a fan standpoint, if you're a Miami Heat fan, you've got a lot to look forward to uh, as we move in to next season. Don't, and to go back on something we talked about a little earlier in the podcast, don't let the fact that the media doesn't want to talk about us, don't let that get you down because it doesn't get us down. It doesn't get the team down. And you know that this team is going to be in the mix uh, next year. And that should be very, very exciting for everyone to count the days until we get back at it uh, with training camp in September and then the preseason and regular season in October. I can't wait. Michael, this has been an incredible chat. Thank you very much for your time. Can you please let our listeners know, and our viewers as well, uh, where they can find you on social media and then anything else that you're working on for the rest of the year as well? Sure. Um, thank you guys for that. You can get me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at The Voice MB, The Voice MB, my initials. Um, uh, for a while there, I had a, a podcast out, which unfortunately became the a victim to the pandemic, but there are still some episodes out there you can listen to called Two Minutes, Dos Minutos. Um, and if you're a video game player, uh, the NBA 2K franchise now features all of us, uh, our PA announcer voices on the game. Uh, and so be on the lookout in the next few months for NBA 2K23. Uh, I'll be uh, doing some studio work for that game pretty soon. And so uh, we're looking forward to the release of that. So a lot going on, uh, and then I can't wait for the 22-23 season to start in October. I appreciate the time, Michael. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.